So today we've come to practice Dhamma together. And we can ask why, why have we come to practice Dhamma? It's because we've uh, been born into this world and we have studied uh, various uh, subjects in order to gain a livelihood. And then we uh, gain a livelihood and we study and work at that. And this is something we need to do in order to obtain the four requisites of uh, food, clothing, uh, shelter, and medicine so that we can live our lives. And this gives us a certain amount of happiness and pleasure. So we've studied all these uh, various topics and now we come to practice and to study about ourselves, about our own bodies and minds, uh, to study the truth of the way things are. Because we, we know already that old age is normal and natural, uh, sickness and death are normal and natural. But when the truth of these things come to us, when old age, sickness and death arise in our own experience, we may find that our hearts have no refuge, they have no uh, stable uh, resting place or refuge on which to rely. And this is because uh, for us humans we've been born and we, have, we try to gain happiness all the time. We try to gain happiness and pleasure. And when we we die, we wish for heaven. After death, we, we hope that we'll go to heaven or we wish for heaven. This is something we may have faith in based on our religion, on our religious beliefs. We have faith and belief that upon death, we'll go to a heavenly place or we'll go to some uh, place of pleasure and happiness. And that's what we think. And in our daily life, we may not practice dhamma, we, we may not have dhamma in our hearts, we, we may not have goodness and merit in our hearts, and yet we still want to go to heaven. So this may be one's intention, but it's very difficult to succeed in this if this is the case, because there's no one that can come help us and bring us to heaven. No one can make us born in heaven. And why is this? It's because uh, karma is our basis. Karma is our, our only true uh, belonging. Karma is our what follows us and what we rely on. So in order to be born in a happy place, then we need karma that's uh, productive of happiness. We need good karma. If we only have faith and belief, then this isn't enough to bring us to a heavenly place because we need good causes or we need good actions of body, speech, and mind in the present. We need to do uh, this good karma in the present uh, through body, speech, and mind. For instance, uh, practicing the five precepts or the eight precepts, these are ways of uh, cultivating merit through actions of uh, body and speech. And this may be something we do, particularly on Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays, we may make more of a focused effort in our practice. We may be at home and we may uh, sit in meditation, do uh, chanting, 
And this is the way to the triple gem, the way to the Buddha Dhamma Sangha. And we can use, we can recollect the phrase, Buddhang Sarnanga Chami, Dhammang Sarnanga Chami, Sangang Sarnanga Chami. I take uh, the Buddha as my refuge, the Dhamma as my refuge, the Sangha as my refuge. And we may have this faith and belief, and in the beginning, this is what we have, this faith and belief. And then based on this faith and belief, we may make uh, requests, we may uh, ask for things, ask for things in our life based on this religious uh, faith or belief, such as asking to be rich, asking for material wealth, asking for good health, and various other uh, worldly goals. But we need the causes, we need the conditions for these experiences and for these things to come to us already uh, present. And we see that external wealth, uh, money, it does not uh, immediately bring happiness or it doesn't guarantee happiness because happiness is something that is in our hearts. So we need the causes of happiness in our hearts, such as mindfulness and wisdom. We may keep uh, trying and trying to get this happiness. But if we don't have the true causes for happiness, then we won't receive it. For instance, some people may bow to the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha and have faith, and they may request things and ask for things uh, with this faith. For instance, they may ask to pass an exam to succeed in uh, their examinations. Uh, based on this faith. But if we look even deeper, we see that the Buddha taught about causes and conditions. And he taught that all phenomena arise based on a cause and cease with the cessation of those causes. And the Buddha taught that all things arise in this way, arise based on causes and cease. The Buddha explained this and when the Venerable Sariputta heard this uh, Dhamma teaching from Venerable Asaji, that all things, or that the Buddha explained the causes of phenomena and their cessation as well. And based on this teaching, Venerable Sariputta understood clearly into the Dhamma. He understood the, the essence of the teachings of the Buddha and saw clearly into the truth. And we see some individuals may ask and request things, and then they may not receive what they asked for. And they may think, oh, the, the monks, uh, they're not helping me. They're not helping me achieve my goals. But we see that the Buddha taught to be a refuge unto oneself. So we can see who can help you, who can help you achieve these things. Well, one needs to help oneself because one is one's own refuge, and the Buddha taught to be a refuge unto oneself. For instance, in one's studies, one may have effort to study, uh, to read, to learn uh, the materials and have this intention. So one has effort, one endeavors, one has energy and wirya to succeed and study, and one uses mindfulness and wisdom one's thinking and one's contemplation 
and then it's possible to succeed in one's studies. We can compare this to the Buddha when he was a bodhisattva building parami. He had an incredible amount of effort and endeavor to build his parami. He had a mind with kanti, with patient endurance, and he was able to study and succeed in his building of parami. And whenever he studied a subject, um, then he would succeed and be the best in that subject. This is because he had built his parami already. So in order to study well, we need effort and energy. And then we get a strength of heart in order to succeed. So we may receive a blessing from an outside source, but then we must put in the causes and conditions ourselves. We must behave and act on our intention as well. Because if we merely set an intention and then make no effort, then success won't arise. And individuals that don't meet with success may think to themselves, oh, the monk hasn't helped me, the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha haven't helped me, or the Buddha, Dhamma, Sangha haven't helped me. And this is uh, based on belief. And this can also occur in one's work. For instance, if one wants, has a business of selling things or other uh, types of work, and one may request uh, success in their work because having been born, one uh, wants and desires uh, various material things. But the Buddha taught that one needs to do the causes oneself. We can see in the time of the Buddha, there were two very wealthy siblings and they had done a great amount of merit in the past. So in the lifetime, when they were born in the time of the Buddha, they were extremely wealthy. They had all the material things they needed, and they had uh, people to care for them. And even their, their house was uh, illuminated at all times with uh, these kind of gems or crystals. But this is something that was based on causes and conditions that they had done in the past. We see that this wealth arose from causes that they had made. And similarly with mindfulness and wisdom, mindfulness and wisdom arise from causes and conditions. They don't arise just from not doing anything. So the Buddha taught that all things arise from causes. So one needs to practice the Dhamma for oneself, uh, sit in meditation, train one's heart. Because if one doesn't train the heart, then it's like a small child that has no caretaker. And this child can meet with various types of dangers because no one's there looking after them. They might fall into a body of water. They might fall from a high place. They might meet with fire or poisonous animals because they don't know what's dangerous and what's not. Uh, they don't know what the appropriate courses of action are. So if one simply lets go and doesn't train one's mind, doesn't do the practice, then one, one's mind is constantly meeting with dangers because the mind is lacking a caretaker, because no one's looking after the mind. 
So one needs mindfulness, uh, clear comprehension, and wisdom to look after and protect the heart. To understand the, the Buddha sasana to a deeper level. So we may have faith in the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha, but if we have faith and don't practice, then we're not building the causes. In the beginning, it, it may be like this, but we keep trying, we set our intention firmly, and then if we uh, study and practice, then we can succeed. We do our practice of sila, we do our work, and this gives us strength of heart to do merit and goodness. And then we can gain the habit of doing merit and goodness every single day. We do our practice of generosity, virtue, and meditation every single day. And this is a great goodness in the heart. In the beginning, we may have no internal fund, no accumulation of wealth in the heart. And so we have to build up this fund through generosity, virtue, and meditation. And then based on this accumulated fund, then we're able to succeed in various endeavors. And if we don't have this internal fund, then we, we may not succeed. We might not be motivated to build more merit. And then one may feel that one has no faith left because one feels that the monk that one asked for help didn't help them because one has failed to succeed based on a lack of inner funds. So one needs to help oneself. We see that the monk uh, teaches one to help oneself, to be a refuge to oneself. And this is the same as the monk himself or the monastic it's itself. The monk needs to practice and help himself as well. It's not that one comes to ordain and as soon as one's ordained, one gains samadhi and peace of mind right away. It's not like that. After ordination, then what happens is that one gets a good opportunity to practice. One has a good opportunity uh, to train the mind because the laity out of faith bring the four requisites for one to use. And therefore the monk doesn't have to use their time and energy to always be seeking after the four requisites because the lay people offer the four requisites. So this gives the monastic uh, more time and energy to devote to meditation practice, to cultivating the mind and to doing merit. And this is a good opportunity since one has more time. And if one has the time but one doesn't practice and meditate, then peace doesn't arise. So one needs to have effort. One needs to, to do their practice of sila, samadhi, and panya. Go to the morning and evening chanting, do the monastic routine, uh, help out with the various uh, duties and chores, and not miss out on one's formal meditation of chanting, uh, sitting, and walking, but to do it consistently and not to miss any sessions. This gives rise to merit. This is the development and training of the heart. And so for the lady, the lady develop themselves in this way as well. 
develop their hearts to be a refuge unto themselves, to be your own refuge. Because if one doesn't practice, then one doesn't meet with the Buddha-sasana, one doesn't meet with merit and goodness. And if one has faith and then one does practice, then the mind is able to realize uh, samadhi more and more. One establishes the mind uh, watching the in and out breathing or setting the mind with the mantra bhuto. Whatever the meditation method, then one trains the mind to have mindfulness with a single object and to do this continuously and to do this a lot, to do it often, to have mindfulness with a single object. Then this can give rise to peace, give rise to samadhi, a rapture, happiness, and bliss, fullness in heart can arise. This is samadhi. At this point, one may start to understand the Buddha's teachings, that what the Buddha taught is truly the way to peace of mind, is uh, truly a way to samadhi and to happiness. And this is, uh, we can see then how this faith through practice eventually gives rise to wisdom. In the beginning, one merely has faith without wisdom. One has faith, but one doesn't see. But when one practices, one starts to see for oneself. One sees that the Buddhist, uh, their Buddhist teachings are truly the way to peace, uh, unification of mind and clarity. And with the samadhi, one sees clearly the heart becomes cool. In the beginning, the heart is hot and agitated. And we practice uh, sila, virtue. And the heart may be hot and agitated, but we don't act on this. One may be angry, uh, vengeful, aversive, and one may have uh, angry thoughts, but one practices patient endurance. One practices not to act or speak based on these agitated mind states. And this we can call sila or virtue. Because this is a mind in a, a hot and agitated state, a state of suffering. And we don't want to give this heat to others. So we practice loving-kindness meditation to bring our hearts to coolness. We reflect that, having been born, all beings must die. Who is there that's born and doesn't die? That person doesn't exist. We're all, having been born, we all die. And having been born and died, what can we take with us when we die? What is there of this world that we can take us, take with us when we leave? We leave our body behind. Uh, what can we take with us? Even the body gets uh, burned to ash. We see that it's truly anicca, dukkha, and anatta. Can we take any wealth, any material things with us? Uh, we cannot. And so we see that in this life, what's of value is merit. Any material wealth that one has stored up is not very useful. It's not useful because we can't take it with us. So an intelligent person will use the wealth that they have in order to do acts of goodness and merit in the world while they're still alive. And we 
see that this is using wealth to give rise to, to goodness in the heart. Because this heart is something of great importance, this heart and mind. And we store and we build merit and we cultivate merit and build it up. We see that we develop this uh, merit and goodness and this is something we need in order for true happiness. We need to build this through generosity, uh, virtue, and meditation. And we may want wisdom as well. And if we want wisdom, then what we need to do is to build our wisdom parami. We study, we practice. We see in the Buddha's teachings, I mean, these are things we need to build and do ourselves. So we contemplate the teachings of the Buddha, contemplate that all materiality is impermanent, is unstable. And we may know this, we may remember this teaching, that materiality is impermanent, and we're able to think of it and remember it. But then we may ask, well, why, when we experience impermanence, why do we then suffer since we can remember the teaching? It's because the mind hasn't yet accepted the, the truth of impermanence. And why is this? It's because of attachment and clinging. So in the beginning we encounter Buddhism and we have faith. So this is entering the Buddhist religion to a degree. We can compare it to a tree. In the beginning we just come to the leaves of, of, the, of the tree. And then as faith increases, and we develop sila and virtue. This is like coming to the bark of the tree. And the generosity is like the leaves. We see that this generosity, without it, then the monastics would have, they wouldn't be able to live. They'd have no chance to practice uh, their way of life. And then the sila is the bark. We see that a tree with no bark is not beautiful. Just like uh, a tree with bark is more beautiful, a human with sila is more beautiful. And then we come to the softwood of the tree, which is samadhi, which is something even harder, more difficult to do. But we still must try to cultivate samadhi. We must try to do it. We should try to experience a mind that's peaceful and collected at least once, to feel this fullness, uh, rapture, and pleasure in the heart. This is something that's possible to experience. Before, for myself, I read about this in the text, about watching the in and out breath, about having mindfulness with the body moving to and fro. Having read this, just reading it, one doesn't see the results, so I, I doubted about this, and doubted about this uh, in an ongoing way. And this is because of, lack of, because of a lack of samadhi. But I was able to practice along with the doubt. I was doubting and practicing at the same time. This is something that Lung Pu Cha taught, that you can doubt but keep practicing. You can doubt and practice uh, along at the same time. But the important point here is to practice without ceasing. And even someone who's continuously doubting if they practice without stopping, then they can progress all the same. One can also use the recollection of death 
as one's meditation object to bring the mind to peace. Just like other, other meditation objects are all for the sake of bringing the mind to peace, such as contemplating a teaching. This is for the sake of bringing the mind to peace. And when peace arises, it arises uh, based on one's uh, kamatana, one's meditation object. And the mind can become still and peaceful through the recollection of death, for example. One sees that all lives end in death. Death is something that must come. And recollecting this, one can feel peace and unification of mind. And one can feel a great uh, weariness with the world and disenchantment and desire to escape from this predicament of, uh, this is a feeling of sangwega, feeling that life must end in death. And whatever wealth there is, even if one is very wealthy, then one must die all the same. So one contemplates this as Dhamma. And one sees that even for those with a great amount of material wealth, uh, they still suffer. It's not that you have a lot of wealth and you just have happiness all the time. This isn't how it is. Because this happiness of heart can't come just from external things, just from external wealth. There was one monk from the West came to ordain and practice. And there's a teaching about happiness, uh, or outer happiness is not a true happiness, because one's needs to constantly keep seeking after uh, more of these outer things, more of these external pleasures to bring more of this type of happiness. So therefore, it's not a true happiness. But what we really need and want is true happiness. And this is found through the, the Buddhist teachings. So this is an important point, an important teaching to keep in mind. Whether one's a monastic or a layperson, this is a Dhamma really worth listening to because this is the truth of how things are. This is the Dhamma. It's just like this. One may have all types of outer things and outer wealth, but this isn't a true happiness. In fact, this outer wealth is a cause for suffering because having met with external wealth and one has uh, worry and attachment and concern over this wealth, then the heart suffers. So contemplate this and don't cling and don't attach to these things. Just like attaching to praise, we attach to the praise, and then when blame comes, we suffer. Similarly with gain, we, ha we have gain and we have wealth, but then we have loss, and then we suffer. And we have pleasure and happiness, and then we're separated from that happiness and pleasure, and then we suffer. We're separated from that which is loved, and this is the truth of the Dhamma. This is how things are. We call these the worldly winds, the loka dhammas, of which there are eight types. The four uh, pleasant types of praise, fame, uh, gain, and pleasure. And then there are painful opposites of uh, blame, disrepute, loss, and pain. So when the four positive worldly winds arise, 
or the four pleasant worldly winds arise, contemplate them as unsure, as impermanent, as unstable. And when the four painful worldly winds arise, then contemplate that this is a dhamma of the world. This is a worldly dhamma. It's just how it is. Having been born, one needs to meet with these experiences. So contemplate this point. And contemplate and give rise to samadhi and wisdom. Contemplate that attachment is the cause for suffering to arise. And any outer wealth that there may be, contemplate that it's something unsure and unstable. Lung Cha gave a teaching that to rely on external things, to rely on the things of the world for one's happiness, it's like leaning on a rotting stump. There's no essence or heartwood there to support oneself. So one leans on it and it just collapses. Because the things of this world, they have no, no lasting essence. There's nothing there to lean on. There's nothing there to rely on. It's just like leaning on a rotting stump. So having been born as humans, and we've met with the Buddhist teachings, and we practice following the path of Dhamma, we study the Dhamma, we study about our bodies and our minds, and we study to know clearly, to know the truth of the way things are clearly. We train our minds to have mindfulness and wisdom as our refuge, just like a child with a caretaker, with someone to look after them. We train our minds to have mindfulness and wisdom looking after our minds. So we can ask, how is our mind right now? How chaotic is it? Is it chaotic a little or a lot? Is the mind in a state of happiness or suffering? Uh, do we have a true refuge? We see that whatever house we live in, whatever building we're using as a shelter, something unstable and impermanent. So we seek to build an inner house, an inner shelter, which is the shelter of mindfulness and wisdom. And this is an excellent and good house to have in our hearts. So we need to practice and train our minds in order to have this house and shelter, to have a place of rest within our own hearts. And this is a heart with Dhamma. So we contemplate, we contemplate this, this is the Dhamma of the Buddha, that all things arise based on a cause. We don't rely just on faith and belief. We see that to give rise to true happiness, we can't just rely on external wealth. Because the Buddha taught that all things uh, degrade and pass away, that all phenomena experience degradation. And uh, similarly, the woeful states uh, exist, uh, states of suffering and misfortune. And these are places that the mind uh, may go to. If the mind is ill at ease, then one goes to these woeful states in the present, it's something we can see in the present moment. So we see that uh, hell exists in the heart because it's the heart with suffering. Similarly, heaven exists in the heart because it's the heart experiencing pleasure and happiness. So we may 
think about heaven as something in the future. But this heaven in the future, it arises based on experiencing heaven in the present moment. Because if one isn't experiencing heavenly states in the present moment, then how can one go to a heavenly state in the future? There's a teaching, uh, Lung Pu Cha, or a story from Lung Pu Cha, where he, would, he was looking at uh, black ants and red ants uh, fighting amongst one another. And Lung Pu Cha would cheer on various sides, cheering on the, the black ants or cheering on the red ants. And Lung Pu Ginnery, Lung Pu Cha's teacher, was standing there. And whenever Lung Pu Cha would be cheering for the winning side, Lung Pu Ginnery would see, oh, you've risen up to heaven, you've risen up to heaven. And whenever the side that Lung Pu Cha was cheering for would be losing, then Lung Pu Ginnery would say, oh, you're falling into hell, you're falling into hell. And Lung Pu Cha thought to himself, well, why, why is he saying this? Is it, is it really so easy for the mind to go into heaven and for the mind to fall into hell? So Lung Pu Cha uh, took this teaching and contemplated it. And he saw that this happiness of heart, this is heaven. And the heart that's suffering, this is hell in the present moment. These things exist in the present moment. Whether one's experiencing pleasure or pain in the heart, in the present, this is heaven and hell in the heart, in the present. Similarly, Nibbana is in the heart as well, experience in the heart. And if one lets go temporarily into the Nibbana element, this is a Tatanga Vimuti, a temporary liberation. This is, this, this is something that we should try to do and try to realize. So we build up our wisdom and we practice to see all the things of this world as empty, to see that there's no self there, there's no me or mine in all the things of the world. So practice to see like this, to see that everything is just a convention. In reality, there's no me, there's no you, there's no mine or yours. Speaking in this way, in terms of self, we can say that there's self in terms of convention, but the heart must understand that really it's all impermanent, uh, suffering and not self. And this is what the Buddha realized through wisdom. This is what the Buddha awakened to. So we practice to know what the Buddha realized and to follow this same path of practice. Because if we don't practice, how can we let go? The Buddha can't give us liberation just like that. The Buddha is the one who teaches, the one who shows the way. In the Buddha's time, the Buddha uh, taught in this way. And based on these teachings, then many beings were able to realize stream entry, once returning, non-returning, uh, many, many beings were able to realize this. And even higher than this, many, many individuals were able to realize arahantship. And this is because that they had spiritual development. They had parami to a high degree from past development. So for ourselves, we practice generosity, virtue, practice to build our wisdom, practice to cultivate our parami, 
to bring our minds to stillness and peace, and to see that all phenomena are not self, not a me or a mine, to see this clearly, that the body is not self. And this is called seeing the Dhamma. This is the realization of Sotapanna, of stream entry. This is the mind that enters the stream to Nibbana. And such an individual has no eighth lifetime. They have at most seven lifetimes. And if one doesn't realize this, then one can be reborn in the cycle of samsara for a very, very long time, for a hundred thousand eons or more, for millions of eons. There's no end to it. In the human world alone, one may feel that a hundred years is a long time. So this cycle of birth and death, this endless wandering on of samsara, is extremely long. And if one gets lost and goes to a woeful state of existence, then the chance to be reborn as a human is very difficult. It's compared to a a blind turtle who's uh, swimming in the ocean. And the whole world is covered with the ocean and there's just a small hole uh, floating on the top of the water, being blown about in the four directions. And we can compare this wind that blows Uh, this loop about to the kilesas that blow our minds here and there. And the turtle is blind as well, so the turtle exists in a state of darkness. It doesn't know the way out. So not knowing the way, how is one able to practice? So we see that the Buddha gave, gave us light, gave us the light of the Dhamma, the way to realize the Dhamma, gave the light of Dhamma to our hearts. So we practice with faith, and our faith grows ever firmer with this practice. We bring our minds to peace, to collectedness. Then we can know impermanence, suffering and not self, in our own hearts. Then our faith becomes uh, firm and well-established. And we can call this entering the stream to a small degree, or a little sotapanna, one who has faith that doesn't waver, one that uh, practices with this firm intention, with firm belief in the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha. And one feels that the teachings of the Buddha is true, the Dhamma is true, the Sangha is true, because one feels it in the heart, one sees more deeply in the heart from one's own experience. And so this arises from our own practice. No one's able to give us this. There's no God that can give us this. Uh, There's no one else who is able to give us this. It must arise from our own efforts, from our own practice. So we have faith, and this faith uh, grows firmer as we practice. And we take the Buddha and the Dhamma Sangha as a refuge. Buddhang Dhammang Sanghang Sarnangachami. And we practice uh, to give rise to this in our own hearts. Because just studying is not enough. If we just study and don't practice, then how can we succeed? Just like in school, if we don't make effort and we don't 
have any endeavoring, then how can we succeed? Or in our work and livelihood, if we don't put an effort in practice and do or put in the causes, then how can we succeed? So just like in terms of Dhamma, if we don't practice, then how can we succeed? Who is there in the world that can give us samadhi and give us sila? So we must see the drawbacks in the cycle of samsara and build merit, build goodness in our minds to give rise to more and more merit and to build this continuously. And this is the way to develop our minds, to meet with the essence of the Buddhist teachings, to meet with the essence of wisdom. So this is the path, this is the way to travel. In the beginning we practice having virtue, and this gives us a level of happiness and fullness in the heart, which we can say is a, a heavenly state in the heart. It's heaven arising in the heart. But later we see the drawbacks in heaven. We see that even these heavenly existences, these heavenly states, are impermanent, unstable all the same, subject to birth and death, a part of the cycle of samsara. So having seen this clearly, that they're impermanent, then we practice renunciation. We practice our nekama parami because we see the drawbacks in the impermanence of the cycle of birth and death. Then we practice and establish our minds uh, firmly in the practice. And we can see the truth clearly even for a whole day, two days or three days uh, continuously. So we practice to see the Four Noble Truths, the truth of suffering, the truth that suffering is caused by craving, and that we need to let go of this cause of suffering. And the way to let go of this is this Noble Eightfold Path of Sila, uh, Samadhi, and Panya. And this is the way to see the Buddha in our own hearts, the Dhamma in our own hearts, the Sangha in our own hearts. So may you set your hearts in this practice. May you grow in Dhamma.